Oh, you hear the squeak? I like it when it squeaks. That's my favorite part. Oh, yeah. I know. Me too. It feels like it's, I don't know, got some sentience or something. Yeah, like we got a little pet in the studio and that's fun. Make- mm-hmm. It's the hamster running on the wheel, right? Keeping it going. Yeah. Yeah. Something we'd never get to do in a studio. <laughs> and now we have a little pet. Maybe, maybe it'll last for a few more days. I like having a little OBS pet. You give it days. I give it hours. <laughs> it's office hours. With me, Chris. Hello, everybody. Brent's here, too. Hello, Brantley. Welcome in. Hello. It's cozy in here today. I don't know what you changed, but it's nice. Oh, it's the box fort. Yeah. It's because we're doing it in the box fort. Oh, right. Yeah. I yeah, I thought yeah. something was different. I, I don't know why I couldn't pinpoint that one. You know what? 2023 is all about saving money, and I figured, why build a whole studio when you could build a box fort? Out of all the boxes you just get from stuff from Amazon anyways. So Well, it sounds pretty good in here. Yeah, well, this because this part's from the fridge. It's pretty nice. Yeah, and then the blankets, of course, I just picked up off the street. They were free. People were just like sleeping on the street. They just leaving them there. Weird. So I grabbed those, and we got ourselves the studio. And of course, the Mumble Room's in the, in the office with us as well. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello, Chris. Hello, Brent. Hello. Hello. We got a small handful right there in the on-air room, and then another handful up in quiet listening. Nice to have you all here today. It's one of these episodes where we've been meaning to get to this topic, but there's just been a lot of development going on at JB that we wanted to cover. But one of the reasons that we started doing Office Hours is so that we could kind of comment on some of the bigger trends going on with the podcasts around us, about the future of podcasting, um, about value for value, podcasting 2.0, and and all that kind of stuff. And it's Obviously a topic close to our heart. I have to say, if you hear a squeak, something that sounds like a screaming or a banging in the background, the OBS machine that we have is finally giving out and the power supply is failing. It's been going out for a while. So what I've been doing is coming in with the hawk strike. And if you just hit it kind of like a coming up from the side and kind of do like a ah, when you hit it, it'll generally just uh, fix the fan. And so then it's fixed for a while, and I don't have to hawk strike it very often. However, this morning when I came in, the hawk strikes on the power supply were failing to fix the noise. It was a new level of noise, really just making all kinds of squeaky noises. And I realized hawk strike was insufficient. I was going to have to do more than just kind of like, you know, smack the side of the power supply. So I did the right thing, and I got a microphone arm, and I just really started wailing on it real good. Unfortunately, the sound didn't go away, but I did get a face full of like an ozone smell. So I think one of the capacitors is about to blow. And unfortunately, the fan's not working properly anymore. So it's really heating up in there now that we're live streaming and and everything's going. The CPU and the GPU are all going. The disk is going. So that power supply is really getting used right now. And it's not cooling properly. And it seems to be one of those capacitors is squealing right now. So uh, what I'm going to do is just go ahead and ignore that and pretend like I didn't know all that's happening. And so if you hear a squeal, I just want you to pretend like you don't hear it too. And then it's not really happening and we can just do the show and it'll be fine. You cool with that, Brent? You good? I'm strangely okay with it. I, I find it really interesting how the the Thaleo that's meant to replace it just happens to be on your workbench currently. Like you've had it for what, a month or two now? And you just- So close. So close. Just now started working on it and all of a sudden, you know, there's a, there's a connection there. I don't know. Well, I, I've known it was dying. Because I've been, you know, working on it by banging on it for a while. So I knew it was coming. I just was hoping to get it till we do our little sprint around LUP 500. And Mm -hmm. then I thought what we could do is we'd take almost everything out, clean 
rewire, and then bring back in just the stuff we want, like the Thalia. Wow. When's the last time that happened? 2018. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe 17. Yeah. So it's been a while. So it's been a little, it's been a minute and it could use it. You know, it's a clean slate kind of thing because the studio just builds up legacy. Like, you know, maybe we had a couple of people over. So we ran some wires real quick or, you know, we want to experiment with cameras real quick. So things just build up over time and it just kind of needs a good purging every now and then. And it creates problems. So you want to do it right. By having everybody here, you just bang it out as quickly as possible, problem solve and get it over with. Because otherwise you'll trickle problems for like the next two weeks into the productions. Been there, done that. So I kind of feel like this whole situation is a metaphor for the entire podcast industry at large right now. Isn't that funny? I love it. In case you didn't know this, Brent, uh, in 2022, podcasting died. Oh, did it? I hadn't noticed. Yeah, I know. We missed it. But uh, there's even uh, a gravestone that's been made for it. 2022, the year podcasting died. And this is from a podcaster and a uh, podcasting consultant, a podcasting 1.0 consultant. It is funny, though, because they did actually make a, a tombstone. And it says podcasting 2004 to 2022, sponsored by MailChimp. <laughs> oh, that's oh gosh. That's <laughs> oh, so perfect. Savagely perfect, actually. And here's their case. They say uh, the crux of it is they are no longer having any conversations with their clients that do not involve video in the discussion. Nobody wants to begin an audio podcast. Everybody is all in on video now. And uh, they point out that social media services that focus on video like Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok. They are accelerating right now, while other services that don't are decelerating. Um, they say that it's very hard to build any kind of podcasting marketing campaign, whatever that might be, that doesn't involve video. And here's their reason, they say. The rise of remote recordings has facilitated the simple two to three person podcast, where it used to be tricky and hard. Now they say Zoom, Zencaster, Squadcast, whatever, they make it, quote, a piece of piss. All the software that's flourished in the last few years since the COVID-19 pandemic have some sort of native video capture function. They say this means that video has gone from being something that you have to plan as an irritating addition to something that you'd be crazy not to capture from the off. And they have some other points in here, but I wanted to pause there. And, and what do you think of this, Brent? Is audio podcasting dying because post-COVID-19 tooling is just video first? And just a little bit of anecdotal data. My wife was approached to do an interview podcast series for someone, for a, for a group. And I will note the conversation never included only doing audio. From the start, it was, we want to do video. We want you to do it over Zoom, that kind of thing. And then they're going to publish both audio and video, which... We'll see how that goes. But what, what, are your, what are your thoughts so far on this, this take that this new tooling is so easy that it's making the audio podcast irrelevant? Yeah, I think that's taking it maybe a little too far because it feels to me like the conversations are, well, let's do podcasts because tons of people are listening to them. There are what, almost 5 million podcasts out there now. and But it's just like, well, if you're going to do it, you may as well jump on the video bandwagon and throw it on all the other platforms. Because if you're doing audio only, as we've seen... You know, places like YouTube and such uh, has a large audience to grab the content. But if you're only streaming like a static image or something, you don't always get the same draw from those specific platforms. But I feel like the audio only platforms 
I don't know. Maybe they feel totally differently. But you're suggesting, or this article is suggesting, that those audio-only platforms are just shifting to video completely. I mean, it, it, it gets me thinking about what JB has done in the last few years. You know, you've done video forever and then went to audio-only. And only recently have we sort of done a minimum viable video. So I'm curious on your thoughts of that transition for JB specifically and whether you think you relate to what they're suggesting in this article. You know, I, I think this guy's off the mark a little bit and, and uh, maybe, maybe they're a podcasting consultant, but I don't think people are getting their money's worth. The, the reality is audio can be great for scenarios where video is not an option. Driving, obviously. Doing chores around the house, yard work, dishes, those types of scenarios. It's nicer to just have your headphones in and listen to something. There's also an intimacy to well-produced audio that sounds good that I think video kind of wrecks because it takes away your imagination and it just provides you with the fact that we're actually humans sitting here in front of microphones. We have added some video on Jupiter.tube. We're not publishing it on YouTube, ironically. We still publish the audio over there because we're not actually interested in cultivating a video audience necessarily. What we want to do is provide a product for folks that are maybe working from home now or would just prefer to pull something up on their set-top media box or their smart television when they want to listen to something or maybe they just like video over audio. We want to make that available. And it is because the tooling's gotten better. It's not really, I mean, I don't, it's PeerTube, right? It's PeerTube that got better for us. It's not necessarily Zoom. We don't use Zoom. So I think there's some truth to the tooling has made it easier. And there's some truth that visual content gets shared more on the internet. But their next point is really where they kind of bring it in. They think there's going to kind of be a collapse in corporate content. Uh, they say that the world is suffering for, massively from current economic conditions, and that's going to be for the foreseeable future. They write, the podcast just do not pull their economic weight. They struggle to generate subscriptions. Uh, they still are receiving trash CPM for advertising. That's uh, cost per million. And most of the podcasts that are from newspapers and magazines are loss leaders. And then they go on to say that podcasting is at a precarious point in its existence. Well, I actually agree with that second part of their thesis. I do think we're going to see a lot of the mainstream media podcasts fade. Not a lot, but I think we're going to see... I mean, when Brent mentioned it's almost like, you know, almost 5 million podcasts, some of those are just radio shows that are auto-generated and pumped out as podcasts. That's going to keep on going on. You know, it's cost them nothing to do that. But we've also seen boutique radio stations and bigger stations like NPR massively invest in audio podcasting content. And I could see some fluctuations there. I, I do think there is going to be a pullback there. I mean, you were looking at the ad rates from Libsyn this morning. Yeah, that that was an interesting look, and it only represents something like 3,000 podcasts that they represent. So it's a teeny tiny, you know, small sample. So I'm not sure how representative it is, but but there was an interesting graph because they share the history of the rates that they're paying. I guess they have some way of dynamically affecting the rates month per month. And there was a big spike that I noticed in about January 2022. And it felt like back then, what exactly a year ago, like podcasting was hot and the whole technology industry was actually doing just fine, right? And you see the next month, it kind of dips in a weird kind of way and it comes back up. And after that, it's just like a downward slide. And this last, last month in that graph, 
is just a massive dip. And so it's just a fascinating way to visualize this, even if it represents only a small portion of the total podcasts out there. And I'm sure only a small sector and doesn't include the NPRs and all of that, you know, but it's a hint towards the trending that's happening. And I found that fascinating. The pricing peaked at the beginning of 2022 and has just declined since then and took a, with some exceptions, and then took a massive decline in December, a scary decline in December. Which is interesting because, uh, you know, end of year is kind of when you're wrapping up your Q1, Q2, H1 ad deals. So, I mean, generally you're going to do your sales in November, October, but some deals still, you know, stretch into December and get wrapped up. So I'm actually kind of surprised the numbers dipped as strong as they did in December because that's when you're finalizing your next year deals. Well, maybe those deals just got finalized at quite a worse tick than they did a year previous, you know? Yeah, these Libsyn numbers are low in terms of CPM, but they're, it's based on their dynamic, you know, low quality ads that they sell. So they're not very well priced ads to begin with. There is something to it there. We'll link to all of this, by the way. The first article uh, that we covered uh, from Nick, we'll link to. The podcasting advertising rates, we'll link to. And then the next article we're going to link to in the show notes is from Bloomberg. And it's called The Great Podcasting Market Correction. And they say, with hiring freezes, smaller upfront payments, and fewer acquisitions, the podcast boom is feeling like a thing of the past, which is exactly what I told you guys would happen about a year ago or whenever I said on this show. <laughs> yeah. And here's why I know. And here's why I knew this would happen. I sold this business in 2019 or whatever it was, 2018. I think it might've been 2018, whatever it was. I sold the business while podcasting was on the upswing. If you think of it as like an asset stock value price, podcasting's value was going up. People are interested in buying. When I bought it back, it was kind of topping off. I was already seeing the direction this was going. That was one of the reasons I was terrified to go independent again and why I launched membership programs when I did. When I, I mean, the first week we went independent again, because even then, which is almost three years ago, I saw this coming. It was obvious to me. So I sold during the bull run and I bought it back as it began to plateau. And I knew that for the first three to five years of having it independent again, it was going to be a horrendous market. And so when Bloomberg on January 4th runs an article saying the great podcasting market correction is here. Yeah. Yeah. It's been coming for a while. This has been pretty obvious. This was coming and it creates sort of these negative incentives in the podcast community when there's a contraction. And here's a couple of the highlights. They say this past year, podcasting finally achieved one of the ultimate signifiers of middle age, an unsettling realization that the best days of high spirited youth may now be behind it. Like, wow. Okay. I don't know if that's fair because we're seeing like kind of globally, everything's just kind of tanking at the same time. So is it fair to single out just podcasting? I'm not sure. No, because you could, you could do this for all kinds of industry. And, and Brent, you know, this is true. The stuff going on with podcasting 2.0. Oh man. It, it's some of the most exciting stuff in podcasting in the last 15 years since podcasting started. Right? Like the future for podcasting is exceptionally positive in the podcasting 2.0 world because you have decentralization. There's no Spotify or Apple. You have a payment system that is not tied to PayPal or Stripe or any bank or any country, right? Or any authority like, you know, a country authority, of course, local laws uh, for all these things. And you have transcripts and you have all of these features like one that I think is super important that we have really failed at for a very, very long time 
is cast attribution. Hmm. Like there's no reason that Drew shouldn't get attribution in our show notes for editing. Agree. And the podcasting 2.0 spec allows for that kind of attribution. Right now, all we have is is host and co-host and guest. No, we don't. Yes, we don't even have co-host. We have host and we have guest. Right, but in the, in the podcasting 2.0 spec, there is a significant range of options there. One of the things I think is fantastic is Blueberry, which is one of the more popular podcasting WordPress plugins out there. Perhaps the most popular WordPress plugin uh, has gone all in on podcasting 2.0. This is going to make it accessible to so many new podcasters. And one of the things that they did is they went through and documented a lot of podcasting 2.0. So if you wonder, what are the features? They have it right here. Transcripts. Locked podcasting. So it can't be transferred by to a host by an nefarious character. Funding. We talk about boosts, PayPal, Patreon, things like that. Chapters. Cloud chapters, too. It's a big deal. Mm. And the other nice thing about it, and this is something we've talked about, is the way they've implemented chapters in podcasting 2.0 means that they don't actually have to be ready at the time of publishing. Same with transcripts. So if that stuff takes back-end processing that will take a few hours or even maybe requires manual intervention, we can publish the episodes and then we can dynamically update the chapters and the transcripts after the episode's already published without forcing you to re-download, right? It's that kind of stuff that we've wanted in podcasting for so long. You can, there's also a support in there for location. Like say we did an on-location oh, episode. that's cool. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that. And then the two big ones for us right now, besides value for value, credits, like I was just talking about, we can give credits to the individual team members, even the people that aren't on mic, which would be huge. And the other one that Blueberry is going to support, and I'm very excited about, is Lit, or the live tag that allows you to live stream directly to the podcast apps. They're going to, and they have information about that, of course, value for value, they talk about that, and what I love in here is they, they talk about how you shouldn't get hung up on the fact that it's Bitcoin. It, you know, it's like, it really doesn't matter. It's just a way to send value. And it's not like, Hey, don't, we're not telling you go buy $10,000 worth of Bitcoin. We're telling you go buy a couple of bucks, send it to your podcaster of choice. Like you might, if you're going to give an SMS to your local DJ and they're going to do a chargeback. Like going to an arcade and buying some coins so you could use in the machine or whatever. It's kind of the same deal. Yeah. You're not investing in that arcade's coin. You know, you're not, you're not hedging against the global macro economy with the arcade coin. <laughs> You're participating in the local ecosystem. And uh, they, so they talk about all of that, including the crypto stigmatization that we're going to have to just wait to sort out. But I think they have a really good pitch in there. They write, with the crypto market in upheaval, many do not want to be involved. My analogy for this is to forget the investment. This is not an investment model, they write. This is a model where your listener converts an appropriate amount of Bitcoin into Satoshis and then donates those sats. The value of the sats will change based on the price of Bitcoin. But if you think of Satoshis that can be converted to cash and not an investment model, it's easier to get the listeners to participate. Real world financial institutions and issues with PayPal donations of $2 will have a 50 cent processing fee going to PayPal. In the value world, using Satoshis, that same $2 donation equivalent in sats would cost mere pennies, actually even less the transaction. Everyone wins and we build a sustainable podcast ecosystem. In the value model, there are splits. And then they, ca- they talk about the splits, which we've gotten into before. And when you have this, I feel like this beacon of hope with podcasting 2.0, and then you look at how the traditional podcasting ecosystem is really struggling right now. I have got it on good authority from friends out there. The podcast advertisers that you've heard of that are in podcasts that you listen to right now are asking 
for more kind of insidious ways of integrating the advertising into the content for the same price. They're basically asking for the podcasters to do what's called native integration. And native integration is where maybe we had a mattress sponsor. And so instead of saying, and now a word from our sponsor, or maybe we play a little jingle like we do on JB, so you know we're transitioning to the sponsor. We do the whole podcast laying on a mattress. Is that what you're saying, right? Well, what we do is like, I'd, t- I'd, t- I'd tell you about how my bed's been really uncomfortable. Maybe we'd open the show and I'd tell you about how I got a new mattress. I wouldn't even disclose it's a sponsor. Oh, I see. That's actually more problematic. Yes. And then the other thing they're doing is they're they're asking podcasters to have influences on, I mean, influencers on to uh, speak authoritatively on topics, but speak in a way that is pro that ma- mattress. So like a mattress sponsor would would ask a podcaster or a YouTuber to bring on a special guest to be a topic expert. But that sponsor is actually handpicked that special guest. And that special guest is getting paid by the sponsor to work in the mattress plug every time they can in a real seamless way. And the whole deal is all, everybody's getting paid, but the audience is never being told about it. And that's the kind of stuff that's happening more and more and more out there because the sponsors want more and the podcasters can't lower their rates. So this is what's happening. And the other trend, and Libsyn's a big player in this, is dynamic insertions taking off more and more. And this is another area where I'm really happy that with our model, with value for value, we have a hybrid model of I handpick sponsors. We work out boutique handcrafted deals that take forever that some sponsors hate that take that long. And we work with them. We make sure it's a good fit. And they usually stick around for a while because of that. And then we supplement that with subscriptions and boosts. And I think that hybrid model has given us the flexibility to hire a little bit of a staff, you know, pay people for their help with JB and work with a small core team. We're still very tiny, but we can actually, you know, at least pay people a few bucks for their participation from time to time. And I can do this full time. And without that hybrid model, I couldn't see that working. But if we were all in one direction right now, I could see it being a little uncomfortable, especially if that one direction was all 100% advertising. I could see that being really, really uncomfortable just based on the ad deals I've seen come across my table. And the thing is, when a podcast gets bigger, you get even more and more uh, juicy proposals. Like LUP has reached this new threshold where it's it's kind of getting to the size of kind of like a general tech podcast, like a bigger general tech podcast. And so the kind of sponsor pitches we're getting now are a lot of like toothbrush sponsors to the, like one we got was a, I'm, I'm not even joking. Uh, they even sent me one. It's a <laughs> subscription toothbrush. I've actually been using it just to, you know, cause they send it to me. So like, I'm, <laughs> but it's just, they wanted me to, they wanted me to advertise a subscription toothbrush. You have been talking about your teeth these days. <laughs> I mean, I just see a lot of that coming up. And then you combine that with stuff like uh, Spotify. Spotify has come up with their own format for chapters. Even though we can do chapters today embedded in the MP3 file and podcasting to has cloud chapters, Spotify wants you to use their own standard for chapters. They also have their own standard now for app comments and polls, all things that you could do in podcasting 2.0. They're going to do with their own format and they're asking hosting providers to accommodate them. It's gross, right? Their motivation is to just create a unique experience that only exists in the Spotify app. And Apple's motivation for podcasting is to create podcasts that promote their streaming content on their Apple TV platform, right? That's why they're into podcasts now. These are not great motivations. And so I'm kind of glad this whole model's struggling. I mean, I don't want it to hurt any of my friends and I don't want it to hurt JB, 
But at the same time, it feels like maybe this is a washing out after podcasting kind of had a bit, a bit of a bubble. Like maybe this will be a good thing. Oh man, did you hear that? Hurry up and finish the stream. <laughs> We're still going though. Still going. I'm just looking for the flames. This, you know, this blog says that podcasting is a, in a precarious point in its existence. I, I do think it's in a point of massive change. I don't know if it's precarious change. What do you think? Well, what's sort of fascinating to me is that the podcasting 2.0 stuff is sort of gaining a ton of traction at the exact same time as this sort of antiquated model is maybe slowing down a bit. So, you know, the pod, podcasting 2.0 really describes the technology that's coming out in that new spec, but it kind of describes the whole environment in that things need to change and evolve. And it's been the same way for a really long time. And it's about time that we have something new and and better that comes our way. So, you know, maybe boosts aren't the only way that we'll keep podcasts going. That seems, you know, like it's going to be a few years at the very least for that, something like that to be viable. But to see things change for the better and for listeners to be the value versus like the shady ad deals or whatever. Uh, I, I don't know. I just feel very thankful and grateful that we're in a position that we're not having to take all these shady things, you know, that that feels super important to me. I agree. And I, I think it also, so I think what got them into it was Spotify getting heavy and serious into podcasting and, Adam and Dave and others were like, wait a minute, we got to do something or else this is going to centralize quick and then we're screwed, right? Well, and it is, it's, it looks like. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts about that. So my first thought is, I think Dave and Adam and everybody around there really started podcasting 2.0 when the Spotify podcasting ambitions really started to become clear. They went, whoa, we got to do something here. And I'm really grateful for that. And the technology was in the right place for it. But, you know, to the point about the boost and maybe taking a few years, I'm kind of optimistic there too, because... I hear a lot of our boosters now boosting other shows and I can see a network effect happening there. And that's really cool to see. But also this is all happening in one of the worst bear markets of our lifetime. And it has been a grueling year long bear market so far. And we're probably still going to have a bear market for a while. It's going to be like bad. And we're seeing this adoption and this uptake in those conditions. And when there's a bull market and number goes up and everybody gets hyped and excited again, I think adoption will accelerate then as well. So I, I'm very, very, actually, very bullish in that sense, because it, it to me seems incredible that the adoption has, has been as good as it has. Uh, in some sense, cheaper sats makes a great time to experiment, too. So we can build this out and kind of have it the format and how we integrate it into the shows and the tooling around it all kind of figured out by the time number starts to go up and then you start to see all other kinds of, of folks ape in that were uh, skeptics when the market was down. That's kind of my sense of it. So we could see it maybe be only a year away before more. I mean, there's some podcasts I think that are getting very close to going full-time on boost, but they are probably more Bitcoin. Well, anecdotally, I've noticed that even our shows in the last maybe three months from my, you know, poor memory, uh, it feels like almost every show we have some, you know, two Three people who boosted in and said, hey, first time booster, but here's my new, you know, contribution to the show. And that always makes us smile. We're also seeing an uptick in adoption with the podcast apps. Podcast Addict just announced a new beta that supports the live feature in podcasting 2.0. It should be on the Play Store now. And they're asking for feedback to try it. Very excited about this because this is one of the first things we want to get to once we get our RSS feeds going is the live tag. 
And it's nice to see more podcast apps supporting that. So Podcast Addict now online with that. I'm hoping we will see um, AntennaPod also add support for the live tag in the future. They're totally open to it. They said they just need somebody to actually do this. It's always part of the challenge, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely is. I understand. But one day we'll get there one day. And then one last bit of great news. Uh, we've seen some great documentation coming out from both Podverse, Fountain and Albi in the last week creating guides and information on how to actually use all the stuff that we've been talking about. And we will link to a blog on podverse.fm that does a little bit of introduction to the whole boostagram streaming sats value for value. And they've managed to boil it all down into five steps, which is extremely impressive. I know they had to work hard on how to do that. And then they expand those five steps with individual screenshots and all of that down below. Just helps you get started. And of course, I love Podverse. I think it's a great app. I'm in it for the long haul GPL multi-platform. I'm a premium member and uh, I really appreciate the Albi integration because I'm using Albi more and more. On Giraffian OS, I do have to reconnect to Albi more than I would like seemingly every time. And I don't have that issue with Fountain, but I also control my Albi wallet. I can use that across multiple apps. So I'm good with that. You know, I'm good with that. But it's really cool to see it. It's to see the uptick. Speaking of changing models and improving things, I think you should check out Linode. Linode.com slash, what do we say? Linux? Oh, it's Jupiter for this show. Jupiter for this show. I mean, you could you could do, I mean, it depends if you want to support those jerks over in the Linux podcast space. I don't know. They get all the attention. I think we deserve a little bit. So Linode.com slash Jupiter. Yeah, slash Jupiter. Yeah, this is great. You know what? This, this, is, a, this is a sponsor I am proud to have right here. Love Linode. We've been using it for years. And when you go over to linode.com slash Jupiter, you get that hundred bucks for 60 days. So you can just try it yourself. Can you imagine what you can do with a hundred dollars in 60 days? Once a week, I'm like, what would I do with all of that? Cause that's a lot. I would play around at this day and age. I'd fire up a Mastodon instance. Everybody's talking about Mastodon. They've got a one click deployment. You could fire it up and then you could get a feel for what it's like to run without having to invest two weeks and setting it up. I think that's an option. The other thing, you know, I'm a big advocate for these days, like it's brand new, NextCloud. Even if you don't stick with it, everyone should try a NextCloud once. And if you haven't tried NextCloud in a couple of years, I think you should try it again. And they also make it super easy to deploy NextCloud. They probably have like a one-click deployment for that, right? They probably do, Brent. They probably do. And then, you know, you got things like S3 object storage. So then you could tie your NextCloud to their S3 object storage. So then you don't have to worry about constantly running out of disk. Uh, NextCloud, because you have a bunch of deleted files that you never clear, it just solves all that, you know? You're describing my situation exactly. I, I booted up my NextCloud like five years ago before I knew any better. And uh, now I'm like, geez, I should have done that. Yeah, it's just nice. You got to, you know, you got to go in and clean it up from time to time, even when you're using object storage. But it's nice just to have that kind of flexibility. And they make it so easy. And there's so much documentation. Like, I would also just build a few things. Like, oh, yeah, Alex was talking about playing with K3s and K8s. Nice. You know, you could you with a hundred bucks, you could spin up a dozen machines and run it for a while and orchestrate and play around with those tools. Like it's just, you know, you've got really fast networking, really fast systems. Like screw messing around with a VM on your computer. Go use the hundred bucks. Go play around on Linode. Learn something, and then you'll probably find it so dang great you want to use it in production. That's what happened for us. So go try it out and support the show. Get the hundred bucks when you go over to Linode.com/slash Jupiter. We got some feedback, Brentley. 
Yeah, I uh, I stole some feedback from those guys at the Linux Unplugged show because I thought uh, maybe this fits here a bit more. So, Catherine, thank you for the email over there. But we're going to catch it here. So Catherine asks, with written media on the Internet degrading over the last decade or so, I find it pretty difficult to follow some tech news in terms of hardware, software, FOSS world stuff, legislation, and so on, other than via aggregator sites like Reddit. So I was curious, what would be your suggestions on where to get good quality news sources? That feels like the hard question of the era. <laughs> right, isn't it? Right? If you were to zoom out over the last five, six, seven, ten years, that feels like one of the hardest questions of our time. And I think some of us hoped that's what Twitter would be, would be this way to curate a feed of individual creators who are publishing. So instead of following the New York Times or the Washington Post or Zero Hedge or whatever, You'd follow an individual writer and then you'd, you know, you'd learn to trust that individual creator and follow their work regardless of where they went, where they went. But of course, if you did that, you inevitably ended up getting burned and had to participate in the dumpster fire. So I don't think that worked out. I, I could tell you, this is where I become a little bit of a radical. I'm sorry, but I do not believe the answer to solving this problem is by eliminating or narrowing the field of input and information and data sources. Unfortunately, I think that's how you get distorted information. I think the classic lesson is the more information, the more data you can draw from, then the better ability you have to make your own decisions and determine the story. You know, I think uh, we've all seen this situation where you're reading any normal, you know, mainstream media outlet. Just for the sake of argument, let's just say it's the New York Times. You're reading the New York Times, and they're covering a field that you know a lot about. Maybe it's computers. And they just butcher the coverage. And they get it wrong to a point where they almost get it the opposite of reality. Like this happened recently when TechCrunch ran a piece on the Matrix Foundation. They ran a piece on the Matrix Foundation five days after the Matrix Foundation took to the web and said that they are desperately running out of money and that it is an existential crisis that could lead to their collapse, and that they've had to lay people off recently. Five days later, TechCrunch writes an article about the Matrix Foundation and says they're doing great. Makes it sound like they've got millions of dollars coming in. Oh, no. <laughs> right? You see this happen all the time with technology coverage. And then the silly thing that we do, because we're simple monkeys, is we turn the page and we assume, because it's a subject we don't know anything about on the next page, that everything they're saying there is true. And then we say, well, the New York Times has got, you know, you know, that's you can trust them. But the reality is, is all these are humans making this up. So you, and they're doing their best, but they get it wrong. And so you, I believe you got to take in as many sources as you like. So one of the things that I do, I consistently consume way more anti-Bitcoin content, media, blogs, way more than I do pro-Bitcoin because I know all the pro stuff. I am really searching for a valid argument against it constantly. I find that intellectually stimulating. And my friend, the, the Bitcoin dad and I, we bounce stuff back and forth. Like if he finds really great criticism, he'll send me a link and vice versa. And I find that to be one of the better ways to sort of check assumptions, validate inputs and bring in additional sources. And so you just got to figure out your topic and do the same. And I don't think restricting the information actually helps. And I know that it's in the context of helping people because they're so dumb that if you give them the information, they'll harm themselves. And so therefore, 
we must suppress the information to protect them. But I think if anything, the last few months with Twitter has shown us that crap doesn't work anyways. And it involves going down paths that I don't think any of us are comfortable with. And so what I've ultimately done is I have just tons of RSS feeds and I use an RSS reader and I pull in hundreds of feeds and I categorize it by the topic that I'm interested in at that particular time. And I break it down into folders like that. And I just bring in hundreds of sources. That's kind of how I do it. Well, now, Chris, you can hardly mention an RSS reader without mentioning which one you're using. I'm sure you got to get that question. I kind of am all over the place. Uh, I generally, anything that syncs to Feedly. Um, so Feedly, I suppose, is ultimately it because uh, I'm on one of their betas for a bot that goes through and categorizes and sorts and co collates some of my stories for me, too. So that generates feeds for me. And then I can pull that into any app that syncs with Feedly. So sometimes it's a desktop app. Sometimes I'll just use the web. I know Nextcloud has some apps you could use like uh tiny's mentioning in the chat room that's that's totes a thing as well thought about doing that you know I, I may one day export all my feedly stuff as an opml i moved to feedly when they killed google reader back in the day so that's how long i've been using it it just works for me but i do like have an old opml file from like a year or two ago of all those feeds so i should probably export it again just so i have that i feel like in this conversation too it's important to distinguish between writers? Because I know I didn't read this as part of the email, but, but Catherine specifically mentioned Ars Technica and seeing the quality of coverage there vary. Um, but I think, Chris, you might agree that it depends on the writer too. So a way of, you know, blogs are really nice for that because you can get a specific author's perspective on an issue. But it's interesting to see how places like ours can kind of vary a lot. And maybe they're trying to accomplish what you're suggesting, which is, you know, provide a bunch of different views. But have you seen the quality of those articles change over time? It's not it's it's not good, Brantley. It's not good. It's it's um these companies, a lot of these companies have become financialized and their primary product is not the news or the articles that they write anymore. Some of our friends that used to work at ours have left in kind of protest of this, but also um, this has happened across the media outlets. Forbes is another one that's destroyed its reputation and lets anyone write for it and lets them call themselves a Forbes contributor. It's more about writing stuff that will get linked to from Google, I think, than it is anything else these days. It's gone really downhill because the advertising situation is really rough on the web. And so it's created all of these perverse incentives for these businesses. And ours has absolutely gone downhill. It's a real bummer. And then the other thing that the whole FTX, Sam Bankman fraud scandal has shown us is that some of these mainstream outlets were just straight up bought off. Like they're just available for sale, including some of the really big ones where just it, they do it through contributions to charitable causes that the companies work with. Uh, maybe they have foundations that receive $10 million. Then all of a sudden they do positive coverage of those companies. It's rancid. It's bad. It's real bad. I'm totally open to hear what people's opinions are because I know if Catherine's chewing on this, a lot of people are chewing on this. And I'd like to know what people are doing. How are you curating stuff? I mean, I hope it's a role JB's podcast can play for some people too because we take that very seriously. Um, but I'd love to know what people are doing. Let us know. Boost to Gray. We did get some boosts into the show. Awesome Matt boosted in with 80,000 sets. Hey, how about that? That might be one of the biggest boosts, one of the biggest boosts Office Hours has ever gotten. Uh, awesome initially sent it in as anonymous, but then followed up with 10,000 sats to uh, claim 
the 80,000 boost. It says, been a while. My fountain has been broken, but I've been listening faithfully the whole time. Very much can relate to all this ADHD talk. I was prescribed meds when I was younger. Stopped taking it in high school because I didn't like the way it changed my personality. That's same. That's exactly the same thing happened to me, Awesome. It's the same thing. Uh, I was prescribed a little earlier in, in elementary school, but I stopped taking it in high school. Uh, in terms of getting stuff done, I'm a big hyper-focused guy. Music on, block everything else out, focus on a single task for a few hours. But it has to be interesting. <laughs> That's the thing. You're never going to see me sit down and focus on... Uh, getting my taxes done ahead of time, right? You're never going to see me sit down and like collect all my receipts ahead of time. Like that's not what I do. You know, the more I hear friends of mine talking about, you know, knowing they have been prescribed, you know, with ADHD and working with tools for basically their whole life, like you, Chris, the more I'm like, oh, wait a second. I think that's me. Like everything that Awesome is suggesting here, like hyper-focusing and stuff like that. I used to think like, oh yeah, that's just like my personality. That's how I got to do it and stuff. And now like, oh, wait a second. Everybody else seems to have all these tools. I don't have them. So I'm I'm totally open ears to all these recommendations. I know we talked about it a little bit. And, and since then, I've been really looking into it and like, man, I got to say, I relate to a lot of it. So thank you to everyone for all the tips. TrevDev came in with 500 sats. Regarding ADD and ADHD, it's just part of the spectrum. The hyperactive part of the spectrum is more subtle than you might think. Have you ever been sucked into an activity that you completely lose track of time? Maybe you forgot other responsibilities. Is being interrupted grating on your soul? Then that's hyperfocus, part of the hyperactive side. Also, it's Vinay's, not Vinay's. Think of Vivance. Oh, okay, so Vinay's. All right, I... I'm not the guy. Especially not today. No, man. I'm having a rough day with the brain today. I could use a little ADD medication today. I'll tell you what. Thanks, TrevDev. That is interesting. That's definitely me. I can, if I could have one thing that I could request to my family that just it's impossible, so I just have to let it go, would be don't come bursting into the room, like blasting something at me. Uh, or like if I open a door and you're on the other side of the door, don't hit me with something like, you know, like a, like a question because if I get asked a question, I lose whatever I was thinking about. And so sometimes I'm like in the middle of something, they come in and then I go to write, go to return to what I was doing and it's gone. And I was like, Oh wow. And it's the craziest phenomenon. I mean, it is gone. It is unretrievable gone. And it's like, it's the weirdest, most awful thing, but you can't get upset about it. I mean, I do sometimes, but you can't really get upset about it because it's not their fault. Your brain works that way. Well, some of your best ideas were lost that way. Yeah. Brain babies. 412 Linux came in with 40, 90, 60 sats. You know what? Regarding the boost, I'm 100% on board with the podcasting 2.0 boost. Coming in hot with the boost. <laughs> However, I could emphasize with some listeners getting boost fatigue sometimes. There have been episodes where I felt like maybe there was too many boosts. They overshadowed the main topic. I believe it's a matter of just tweaking the format to find a good balance. I agree. Perhaps the only permanent feedback boost should be included regularly and boost heavy feedback episodes could be focused periodically. Or maybe if you become a member, you could have a reduced boost feed. Keep up big. Awesome. You know, it's funny. People always have uh, ideas for member feeds. Like we could have a thousand different incarnations of the member feeds. You know, it's crazy. Oh, man. You've talked about like a build your own members feed. Uh, maybe this fits into it. You know, I've, um, I've thought about it. I think where people felt like it was too much is there was episodes where we had a topic, and so we included the boosts that were relevant to the topic in line instead of holding them all to the end. I thought that was better because it's like, why talk about Jellyfin and then just bring up Jellyfin again later when we could just include the Jellyfin feedback in the Jellyfin segment? But I think people feel like that's the boost encroaching on show content when we do that. So I get it. 
I don't really see the difference between if somebody emailed us, like we would do this with email too. If somebody emailed us about a topic that we were covering, we would read that email while we were talking about Jellyfin. We wouldn't wait for the feedback segment and then talk about Jellyfin again. We wouldn't bring it up again generally. But I could see, you know, the other thing I think that's tricky here is there are 11,000-ish podcasts now that are doing boosts. It's incredible because when we started, there was 4,000. But we're the only Linux podcast. We're the only guys talking Linux doing boosts. And so I think there's also kind of it stands out a little bit because it's not normalized yet. And if you listen to other podcasting 2.0 shows, it's totally normalized. Like, it's not a big deal at all. And I don't think it stands out as much. In fact, I think we have one of the best approaches of the current generation of people that get boosts. I really like the way we do it because we do it with a lot of thought and care and minimum and as minimal as we can, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we're picky about what we include and stuff. I think it still stands out if we're the only people that do it in your lineup of podcasts. And this has been an area that I screw up so much. Jupiter Broadcasting is so often like the one nail above all the other nails. So it takes all the pounding. And that has been one of my worst business traits for 15 years is I can't just shut up and not talk about it. I have to start talking about it. I have to start using it. I have to start advocating in some cases. And there are other people who even when they know it's the best thing for them, they can just shut up, be strategic and not talk about it because they don't want to, they, they don't want the cost of the heat. They don't want to be the nail sticking above all the other nails. And I've always, that's why I started doing Linux podcasts. I was so excited about the problems I was solving with Linux. And you got to remember, I was a kid in Microsoft's backyard. It was Redmond country and it was windows and Microsoft everywhere. And I had discovered this Linux thing and it was solving mm. problems Windows couldn't even dream of solving. And it was doing it for free. And I was so fired up about that. And I saw that and this was like 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, right? Like these are the years that I was born in the fire of convincing people to use Linux. And people told me it was a bad idea over and over again. And, you know, I lost deals. I lost deals over it. It, was, it sucked for a while. Uh, I, I had guys make fun. Like I go to work and I'd be the guy that would pitch, well, let's replace that NT box or that Unix box with a Linux, like a Slayers box with a Linux box. And the, and the, and the system 390 admins would laugh and say that I wanted, and I'm not even joking. They told me I wanted to deploy a Mattel inside toy system to replace a serious work box. Look at them now. Yeah, I know. They called my Linux box, a Mattel inside toy system. <laughs> And, you know, they said that I wasn't a credible, a credible technician because I was suggesting Linux. Like this is, I've, I've just, and then like one day it all just went away. Like you just realize one day, like nobody gets made fun of now for suggesting that a server should run Linux. It's crazy. It's just, that's, that's my, that's always been the thing I've done. And looking back at it now in my forties, I can see a pattern over and over and over again. And the reason why I say it's a mistake is because I don't think we ever fully recover from it. It's not like the people who are going after us for doing boost now in five years are going to come back and be like, you were right. Right. You know what? Here's a boost, right? They're just not going to say anything. They're just going to stop being critical. Nick's Bitcoin is amazing. Boosts in with a row of grandpa ducks, 22,222 sats. This old duck still got it. Uh, a sometimes slow, but reliable solution for storing MP3s could be IPFS. You could host or pay for a gateway pinning service and link to the files through a public gateway. Gateways can be restricted to only host the files you have pinned. In the future, it'd be awesome if browsers supported IPFS paths natively. I wonder about IPFS for backup, too. Is it reliable enough to use for backup? Is it the right solution for photo backup? 
You know, Chris, what was it last March or something? We looked into IPFS quite deeply and we're like, "Uh, it doesn't quite seem there yet. And I looked into it maybe a month or two ago because of some suggestions on our website project. Uh, There's an issue there talking about IPFS and how that would be an interesting thing to integrate. And so I was like, all right, I'll look into it again. It's been a little bit. And still, the main feedback I can find is technology seems great. But in real world use, it's just not there. It's not reliable. It's just problematic. So it's uh... or you've got to use these, uh, you know, these relays, these these centralized gateways, which maybe is not so bad, but you know, Cloudflare is one of them. I, I don't know. It just seems sort of like it breaks the idea of decentralization. And then there's also the aspect that it's somewhat somehow tangentially related to Filecoin. And despite the fact that we're in the boost segment. I am not really a big crypto fan right now. I think most cryptocurrency, 99% of it's garbage. And I'm not really convinced Filecoin isn't just garbage. I'm not saying it's a scam, but I'm not really interested in a Filecoin, right? That's not, that's not my thing. So that was another thing that turned me off about IPFS. I could be convinced I'm willing to listen to a good technology pitch, but you combine the, the centralized gateways that seem to be required to make it functional, and then... The fact that it's somehow tangentially related to Filecoin and the Filecoin project, just enough red flags for me to just wait and see how it goes. But it feels like we've been in that position for a couple of years now. Maybe Sully86 has a suggestion with 2000 sats. In regards to the CDN, have you looked at other providers? I use Bunny CDN for my website hosting, and I absolutely love it. They have a storage option, and I believe a fraction of the cost of Cloudflare. Now, Cloudflare is the first thing that comes to mind. But I have found, depending on ISP, location, etc., users can get routed to different locations based on their bandwidth cost tiers, saying sometimes it's not always so great. For instance, in Australia, during my test, I found that Perth was faster than, say, maybe Bunny was versus Cloudflare. So, you know, it kind of depends on your location. Uh, they sent us a screenshot as well as a uh, referral link if we want to check it out. Bunny.net. That's a great URL. That is a pretty good, that is a pretty good domain name. You're right. You're right. Um, one of our shining boosters, Gene Bean, came in with a row of ducks. Keep up the good work. I've been listening to this episode. It gives me things to think about as I attempt to build a website for my podcast. I, too, am working with Hugo. So there's a lot you're all doing that I can learn from. That's great, Gene Bean. I'd like to know what the podcast is one day when you're ready to share it with everybody. And also, Gene Bean, you're just such a great booster across all the shows. It always makes me smile. And speaking of things that made me smile, this username, legit. Savage came in. Or is it Salvage? No, it's Salvage. Okay. Speaking of things that made me smile, Legit Salvage came in, which I think is an Expanse reference, but I'm not sure, with 10,000 sats. See, I told Long-time you. listener, first-time booster. I sent, yeah, yeah. I sent an email about ADHD experiences, so I won't rehash it here. I think you and I read that one. I just started using Fountain, and I wanted to share some sat love. Thanks for all the content. Looking forward to new shows every week. Maybe I'll attend a live one soon. Man, there's something so awesome about hearing from long timers for the first time through a boost, not through an email. Or like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, wow, man, so cool. They're out there. And we know they are because when we go to the meetups, a lot of times we'll, we'll meet long timers, right? But it's pretty cool that we get to do it through the boost, too. Dean L70 boosted in with a row of ducks. Hey, team, just wondering what you think the best place to purchase your sats is. Uh, I don't remember where I got my previous ones. I appreciate your help as usual. Well, this is our second to last boost, so I thought it'd be a good one to kind of round out the boost with. Where you buy your sats from depends on what you want to use them for, essentially. Not a great answer. Like, if you just want a few sats to send into a podcast over Lightning, 
I don't think it matters where you buy them from. Like, pick what's ever easier for you. I think Strike, Cash App, really simple. Uh, Fountain and Albi now have MoonPay integration, so you can top off right inside those apps. MoonPay is great. That's fine. Uh, MoonPay is all right. If you're investing or you're hedging or you want to be like an anarch- anarchist and, pro- and plan for the collapse of society, <laughs> I mean, Bitcoin's for all types, right? Then I would probably look into something that was, it's called KYC free. KYC is know your customers. So if you ever tried to buy Bitcoin from like Coinbase or MoonPay, they're going to ask you to identify yourself to some degree. So that way they are compliant with federal regulations. There are services out there on Tor and other places that are not financial institutions. They just facilitate person to person transactions and there's no identifying required. So it just kind of depends on what your flavor is. RoboSats is my favorite for that. But if you're just, you know, doing a little bit of spending money, go with whatever workflow works for you. I think Albi with MoonPay is going to take boosting to the next level because now you just can top off the Albi wallet anytime you want. Same with Fountain. It's going to make it so much simpler and it'll integrate like on mobile with your local pay. So if you use like Apple Pay, it'll work with Apple Pay on your phone so you can trust the transactions being secured through Apple Pay. And then the other way to get sats, just ask Brent, is to earn them. That's how you stack. Yeah, it's true. Uh, <clears throat> find a podcast that does splits with you and then uh, run your own note and, and you could get a few sats out of that. <laughs> but I would say we've heard a lot uh, from users just uh, getting sats from listening through Fountain. And I know that's decreased in, um, how would you say? The payout amount or whatever. You don't get as many sats as you used to. Yeah, exactly. But we keep hearing that people are just like, oh yeah, I just listened to a bunch of shows I was already listening to, gained a few sats and uh, here you go. I get to boost them in. So that's, I think, a super low friction way to even just get your feet wet. I do kind of joke, but earning them is honestly a pretty legitimate way to get them. And I could see a future where we had uh, a guest on, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, El Ray rejoins us or, you know, maybe Stefan comes back on and they go get a get Albi address for free. And then we just put them in the splits for that episode because they came on that. Once we have our own RSS feed, we can do per episode splits. We can do splits down at the episode level. So Brent would get a percent. I get a percent and Elray would get a percent. That's all transparent. When you boost, you see it all right there. You get to see the math. You get to see the amounts everybody makes. It's just documented for you by the app. It's really nice. I, I think the really neat thing about that too is that it works for the back catalog. Like, so if someone goes and listens to that episode with El Ray, like four months from now, that split is still there. And so I don't know. There's something beautiful about that. All right. So before we wrap up, we got a couple of live boosts that I wanted to read on the show. Uh, Dan Johansson boosted in says, uh, and Dan's of course in the mumble room too. Hi, Dan. Hi. <laughs> Dan says, I enjoy my audio podcast while I do chores around the house, right? Walk the dog, another good one, driving long trips, etc. None of those can be done with a video podcast. I do watch video podcasts on YouTube, but it requires me to be sat in front of my screen for between 30 minutes to four hours, depending on the podcast. Yeah, man, that's a time commitment, especially as a family man. Great point. Keep up the great work on all the shows. Dan, that's a fantastic point. That was a row of ducks. Thank you, Dan. The video stuff does have a place because I watch a couple of video podcasts myself. I agree with you, Dan, but it's like it's never, ever going to take away audio podcasting. Like just like MTV didn't kill the radio star. right? The radio is still going, you know, like there's just places where the radio is better. 
And it's sort of silly to think that's why when that guy writes like podcasting, podcasting died in 2022, it's like, um, hello, I'm over here doing it full time right now. Hello. You know, in that article, they also mentioned how, well, podcasts are dead because you can take any video and just listen to the audio aspect of it and forget about the video part. But I mean, I think we've all ran into that situation where you try that and then the video podcaster, let's call them for this sake, uh, is like, oh, yeah. And if you look at this thing that I have in my hand, you could see, you know, X, Y, Z. And um, as a podcast, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> yeah. And then you're listening to the audio and you're like, I can't. Oh, drives me crazy. I think one thing we do here and we keep trying to do even when we, you know, added this video was like, try not to ever show something on video that our main, you know, group of people listening will have no idea what we're talking about. And I, I think we do it because we've personally run into that. Then how about this one? A live booze from Sir Lurks a Lot for 100,000 sats. That's got to be the biggest boost this show's ever gotten. And Lurks writes, longtime listener, repeat booster. Sounds like you need 100,000 boosts because... 80 is a low bar for such a great show. No disrespect to my fellow boosters, though. But I'm trying to be a cheerleader here, so step up. Also, remember, the part of value for value model involves closing that feedback loop with listeners who support the shows. I think this goes beyond the boost and includes other means of reciprocating value. Time, talent, treasure, in whatever measure. Go podcasting! That's a great boost. I want to frame that boost and put it up on the wall. <laughs> We need like a boost favorites ticker tape in the studio. That is such a great idea. <laughs> Best of ticker tape, right? Yeah. Lurks a lot. I would put that on there. Uh, followed by our very last boost for the show, at least so far. Uh, Linux Teamster boosted in with 5,000 sats. And this really touched me. They wrote, hey, Chris, uh, when I first started listening, I was extremely anti-Bitcoin. I'd mostly just heard the bad information, and I really appreciate that when you started on this path, you were very patient with all the people like me who were initially not on board. I don't know why people felt the need to angrily email you and rage post, but I admire that you still were patient with them, and that really spoke volumes to me. Thank you also for pushing back and giving good info. You rock. Well, thank you, Teamster. That's a very powerful boost, and thank you for boosting all the shows in the last week. We got another note into the show. I think you remember I, I shared it with you directly that basically said the same thing. It's like, I was really anti-boost, just don't like it because of the crypto stuff. But then I heard your stance on it. I realized there's a more nuanced take on this situation. And now I'm having, if you recall, they said, now I'm having the most fun I've had with tech in years. Well, I think probably there's an episode that we should point people to that, that helped uh, maybe change perspectives on this issue an office hours that we did, and I don't quite have the number in front of me, but officehours.hair if you want to check that out, or jupiterbroadcasting.com. It was office hours with the title of We Hate Crypto Too. And I know we enjoyed making that episode. Uh, Chris, you have been thinking on that topic for what, the whole year, basically. And uh, that one changed a lot of minds. So I feel like if you're still feeling, I don't know, a little irked by the kind of crypto stuff and the boosts, Check that one out. If they're still listening by this point, I'm quite impressed. But uh, so that was office hours nine, office hours dot hair slash nine. And then I think a good companion to that episode is office hours 16. Uh, Sats over snake oil. Great title. Which was inspired by the FTX collapse and their crap. Actually, no, it wasn't. My mistake. Sats over snake oil, I think, is really special because in that episode, 
I lay out all the issues with the kind of tokens that collapsed, that caused the collapse of FTX. And then two days after that episode came out or right around there, FTX collapsed because their FTT token went to zero. <laughs> just saying, just saying, just pointing that out, just pointing that out. Alerts a lot came in with elite set of boost sets just to wrap it up saying, I do like to watch the live streams and replay them, but I also listen to the podcast while riding my book bike to work uh, during lunch while taking a shower. Whoa, lurks. I do that sometimes too. And cooking. Cooking is another time I listen to podcasts. I don't know if I've shared this with you, Chris, but when I first got into the Linux action show way back, which was one of my first podcasts ever, it was I always listened to it in the shower. That was the only place I ever listened. So there you go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, Lurks a lot wrapped it up. So today I listened to the live stream on my phone while showering. Mostly listen, but I still love having the video too. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I was ever told somebody listened in the shower. It stuck with me. Now I've heard it a lot. but And then I realized, why don't I try it? I had never tried listening to a podcast in the shower until I heard listeners say they do it. No distractions. Just putting that out there. Yeah. It's nice. I mean, there's also times, you know, you want the shower thoughts. Maybe podcast isn't the right time, but wait, 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 wait. At the studio, I know you have a magnet in your shower, so you must bring your phone into the shower. <laughs> That's it. That's what I do. I do. I do now. I do that now. I have for a while now. But yeah, I put a, I put a, so my Pixel 7 has a MagSafe case. So it's compatible with all the Apple MagSafe accessories. Because when I was an iPhone user, I'm an Android user now, but when I was an iPhone user, I put those magnets up. So I have one in the kitchen. I have one in the bathroom at home too, here at the studio and at home. It's fantastic. So I just walk into the shower and I have it up high so it doesn't get wet. And I just, just stick the phone up on the wall with the magnets and just go about my biz. It's great. And when I walk into the kitchen, I got a magnet on the side of the fridge. So I just walk in there and I just slap it on the side of the fridge and I go about my biz. And the nice thing is, is the wall kind of creates a little bit of a reverb effect and actually amplifies the sound a tad. So it even sounds a little better. It's, it's really great. That would have been a great native ad. <laughs> that right there. If that would have been, see, if we would have gotten paid for that native ad right there. What's the product? No, I should have slipped in like the name of the case or something, right? All <laughs> right. Next time. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up. Uh, thank you, everybody who listens and boosts in. Thank you, everybody who becomes a member over at Jupiter.party. That's another way where you can support value for value directly without... Uh, getting involved with the booths, of course, we appreciate your time, sharing the show with somebody, um, listening to a different perspective on something and uh, contributing positively in our community is also always really appreciated. And of course, we'd love to have you join our matrix over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash matrix. We are building an awesome decentralized community over there. And Brentley, we should probably plug the GitHub. Where do people find uh, all the great stuff we're working on with our website and all that stuff? Well, I would say github.com slash Broadcasting is a nice place to see all of our GitHub stuff. And in there, you'll find the website. And there's some activity going on in there, especially around transcriptions these days. So check it out. Help us out. We'd love it. Pro tip right there. All right. Well, we got to clean up in here. Cardboard. So much cardboard. Time to tear it on the box for it. Yeah. Woo. Lots of cardboard dust. Thanks for being here. You gotta get out of here. <laughs>